Good evening, everybody. It's so good to be with you tonight, um, coming to you from uh, the great state of Oklahoma this evening. And um, we are just thrilled for the opportunity to speak to the Sanctuary Church there in Cedar Park, Texas. Actually, I've been to Cedar Park several times. Um, I used to have a cousin who lived there when we were growing up. And so um, I spent quite a few weekends there uh, watching her play soccer for the Leander Lions. I don't even know if that's still a thing, but there you go. Uh, but we're glad to be here with you tonight, and we love your pastor and your pastor's wife, the Reddies. We consider them friends, and I hope you know um, what a treasure you have in them. Uh, we, we love them very much. But I'm going to speak to you tonight um, about something the Lord gave me way back in 2017, when I sit down to read my Bible, I always take a journal with me and write things down. And a few months ago, the Lord um, helped me to remember uh, this thought that I had written down. And so I began to flesh it out. And so this is the lesson that I'm going to teach you tonight. Um, I've been working on it since 2017 for three years. So here we go. Um, I want to talk to you tonight about a character in your Bible who was the mother to the greatest prophet in history. Jesus Christ said it himself, among those born of women, there is none greater than John. She was a woman who was born into the family of Aaron, a priest, which means that she knew the scripture. She knew the prophecies and she believed what they said. It was her life. She had a front row seat growing up to men and women who devoted their lives to the temple and the things of God and to the word of God. Elizabeth married a man named Zechariah, who was also a priest of the lineage of Aaron. She chose well. God had his hand on Elizabeth from the time that she was just a little girl all the way through into her old age. She served her God diligently, and even when her life did not go like she had planned or like she had hoped for, she did not waver and she did not give up on her God. Elizabeth was an old woman when she had John. She was barren for many, many years. And even though we don't hear any more about this godly woman after she gives birth to John, we know that she was a good mother simply by the character of her son. She raised a boy who was humble. She raised a boy who was bold and who was gracious, one who preached without shame and proclaimed the coming of the Messiah. John was faithful. He was courageous. John knew the scripture and he knew his place. And he was not discouraged when his time in the spotlight was over. Again, Jesus said it of himself that there was no one greater than John. Elizabeth and Zechariah instilled those qualities in him. Elizabeth prayed over him and she taught him and she groomed him to be a godly man full of faith and full of wisdom. She took him to the temple every day and she helped him understand about this God that they served. She molded this man, her boy, that God had given her to raise. Elizabeth was indeed a wonderful mother. However, tonight uh, my sermon is not about Elizabeth's role as a mother. It's not about the role that she played in shaping the greatest prophet of all time. But I want to take you back just a few months before she gave birth to her son and talk to you about her character as a person, a leader in her own right. Elizabeth was a godly leader who understood that everything in her life, every action, every blessing, every victory, every opportunity had only one purpose, and that was to give God glory. 
Elizabeth found a way to somehow point all of the fame straight to God. She gave it all back to him. Her son is the one who wrote the words, I must decrease so that he can increase. But I really think that that might have been a quote straight from his mother that he heard growing up a hundred times before. Zechariah and Elizabeth were old when they found out they were going to be parents. Elizabeth lived most of her life with the stigma that came back then from not being able to have kids, that perhaps she had done something wrong or that she had not pleased the Lord uh, in some way. That's what people may have thought. Yet we know that that wasn't the case. We know that public opinion was not true because the Bible says in Luke chapter 1, verse 6, that both of them, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. And so the Cliff's notes to the background of the story where I want to go today are this. Zechariah was doing his job one day in the temple, burning incense on this particular day. And while he is there, an angel appears to him and he says, your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a baby and you will name him John. The angel goes on to tell him, don't be afraid. He gives him a list of things that John is supposed to do and things he's not supposed to do. He tells them that John is going to do great things in the sight of the Lord and that he will be full of the spirit of God, even from his birth. Then Zechariah makes a big mistake, huge mistake. He questions the angel. Zechariah wants a sign, as if an angel from the Lord standing in front of you is not sign enough. He says, how can I be sure? He says, look, I'm an old man and my wife is, well, she's well along in years. Zechariah is so sweet. He doesn't call her old. He says she's well along in years. And I guess this just made the angel kind of mad because he says, okay, buddy, my name is Gabriel. I actually just came from the presence of the Lord. If you must know, to tell you this good news, now here's your sign. You're going to be deaf and dumb until the baby comes. And he goes on to tell, uh, and he goes on home to tell his sweet wife the, the best way he can, sign language, whatever he does, that she is going to have a baby and they're going to name him John. And sweet Elizabeth, sweet, sweet Elizabeth does not doubt what she is told. In fact, she goes off by herself, and the Bible says this is what Elizabeth said. She says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. Meanwhile, in Nazareth, a town about 100 miles away from Elizabeth, a young woman named Mary also gets a visit from an angel, the same angel, actually, Gabriel. And you all know this story. We're getting ready to celebrate it in a few weeks. The one where young Mary finds out that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. The one where noble Joseph uh, finds out that his fiance is expecting a child and he decides after his own visit from an angel that he is going to protect her and he's going to care for this baby and try to raise him the best that he can. The one where we learn that the great God of heaven decides to robe himself in flesh and come to this earth and save us all from our sins. You guys know that story. Luke chapter 1 verse 39 records that as soon as the angel leaves Mary, that she got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she enters the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth. The Bible tells us that when Mary shows up on their doorstep, that Elizabeth is six months pregnant. Okay, I want you to get this. 
this is a bad time to have company, in, in case you were wondering, in case you've never been there, okay? Here's Elizabeth. She's old as dirt, even though her husband would never say that about her. And she is at the most uncomfortable time of pregnancy. She doesn't feel good. Her feet are swollen. Her face is probably all broke out. Her back is killing her. She really just wants to lay around on her heating pad. She's craving pickles and ice cream. Zachariah, he, he can't even come and help her when she calls and, and talk to her, okay? She's just in a bad, a bad way. This is not a good time for company, especially not a teenage mother who's still super cute, even though she's pregnant and she's probably over moody. Yet, the minute that Elizabeth welcomes Mary into her home, there's this mutual respect between the two women. Elizabeth recognizes the fact that this is a privilege. She's going to be given the chance to pour into this teenage girl who has just been given the greatest honor that could ever be given to any woman, to be the mother of Jesus Christ. Elizabeth immediately acknowledges the honor that she herself has been given, given to mentor young Mary and to help prepare her for the journey that she's about to take. And Elizabeth, without hesitation, puts whatever needs that she has on the back burner for somebody else. To say that she is unselfish here would be an understatement. The Bible says that Mary stayed in Zachariah's home for three months. For three months, Elizabeth has the opportunity to teach Mary. She has the opportunity to help her understand what life as a married woman would be like. No doubt they probably read some marriage books together and talked about conflict resolution strategies. Perhaps Elizabeth told Mary how important it was to pick her battles as a wife and to make Joseph feel respected and honored as a man. I'm certain they spent their days in the Word of God and in prayer about the years that were to come for Mary as she raised the Savior of the world. Elizabeth was older. Elizabeth was wiser. And to the generation before me, I need you. We all need you. We depend on your guidance. We depend on your faithfulness and your direction and your testimony. And just like you, Elizabeth had lived through disappointments. She had lived through heartache. And I am sure that she could testify to the old scripture that said, I was young, but now I am old. But never have I seen the righteous forsaken. I imagine she pointed her finger right in Mary's face. And she said, Mary, not one time has my God ever forsaken me. She encouraged Mary. She put her own doubts and her own fears to rest during those three months that they shared. God gave Mary this time with Elizabeth because God trusted Elizabeth with the task of preparing Mary for this life that she was about to live. And church, can I tell you today that God wants to use us to pour into other people? You know what? When you find ways to put your own needs aside, just like Elizabeth did, and, and bless somebody else, when you look for ways to do that, God will bless you. And, and, and we can't wait until, you know, the time is right or, or when things are convenient or, or, or when we have some extra time or some extra resources. Elizabeth was well in years and three months pregnant. This was not a good time, but she did it. And God blessed her and God blessed her family and her children and 
the scripture concurs with this idea over and over again. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is perhaps one of the most direct of Paul's teaching regarding this subject. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6 says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man or woman, we could add, should give what he has decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, I love verse 8, the one that we just read, because it is telling me that when I am a giver, when I demonstrate that where my treasure is, my heart is also, that God is going to make all grace, the Bible says, all grace abound to me, not just in my finances. Maybe my blessing is going to come by way of keeping my family safe or well. And, and you know, God protects us all the time from things that we don't even know about. Maybe my blessing is going to come by, by keeping me well or, or keeping me sensitive to his voice. Maybe he's going to give me those desires of my heart that he already knows about. We, we were talking um, with a younger couple. They're in their 30s. But we were talking with them one day about this, this concept and principle of giving and, and tithing and all of that. And, and his name is Matt. And he said, he said, you know, if people would just try being consistent givers, they would understand that even though it doesn't make sense to us that to give more more of your money away blesses you financially, he said, it just does. It just works. And you know how he knows that? Because he's lived it. And it's not just true in our finances, but it's true with our time and our talents as well. And, and I would say this, you know, for some of us, it's easier to just scratch out a check and be done with it. And, and don't stop doing that. That's, that's biblical, and we, we need that. But why don't you start challenging yourself to tithe in your time? Tithe in your talents as well. Look beyond your own four walls. It's, it's important to take care of our own families, of course. That's, that's our job and, and perhaps our main concern. But try investing in somebody else. Try investing in somebody else's family, somebody else's kids. See what God will do through you and in you and see how he will bless your family as you bless somebody else. Okay, verse 10. Um, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Church, hear me today. God blesses us for one reason and one reason alone, and that is so we can bless other people. Make no mistake, I don't care how smart you are, I don't care how successful you are or how frugal you are or how careful you are with what you have. You have been given these gifts from God Everything that you are allowed to own or possess or talents that you may have come from the Creator. And we cannot ever, ever forget that. 
Verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. What you are doing in helping other people, you are helping other people, but it is also worship to God. God gets the glory when we are cheerful givers. And my favorite part of this portion of scripture is verse 13, and it says this, Because of this service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. You want to be a soul winner? Be a generous giver in all areas of your life. Keep buying that gas and and driving out of your way to pick people up for church. Keep checking on your neighbor. Keep answering that phone uh, when you when you don't have time to to have those long conversations. Keep keep giving and serving and and feeding people that you barely even know. Keep showing up at the church and 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 cleaning and and working in your Sunday school rooms and and giving to and giving to the building that God has given you. Keep doing all of that. God sees. God keeps record and he is smiling when he sees you doing that. Somebody is going to learn about God and his word and his love because of your unselfishness, because of my unselfishness. Elizabeth understood this concept. She had her own issues to deal with. I told you she had a husband who was who was deaf and dumb on top of her being elderly and, and, and with child. She had her own problems, okay? I think we could say that she had sick family of her own to deal with in her husband. Yet, she gave. Yet, she blessed the mother of Jesus Christ in a role that nobody else could. She was in the presence of God and she recognized the responsibility and the weight and the magnitude of the situation. In church, God has given us so very much. And now it is our turn to give back to him by loving and taking care of his people, of his creation, of of the city that God has been given you the privilege to care for, of Cedar Park, Austin area, all, all of that area. It is our turn to give back and reach his people. I love the fact that there was not one ounce of pride or pretense in Elizabeth. She understood that she was serving in the role that God had called her to serve. She was confident in herself. She was confident in the God that she served and understood that this mission that she was on was so much bigger than herself. Just picture this with me for a minute, okay? Elizabeth has lived her entire life serving the Lord. She grew up in a priest's home. She was married to a priest. She had given her entire life to taking care of the man of God in the temple and studying of the word of God. She had a prayer life. She had a consistent walk with God. The Bible says she was without reproach. Yet, she was barren for many years, wanting a baby all of those years, probably more than anything else, I imagine. And when God finally does grant her the gift of being a mother, she's old. Elizabeth probably won't ever see her baby grow up to be a man. She doesn't get a visit from an angel. She gets sign language from a a husband who is suddenly deaf telling her what's about to happen. That's a far cry from an angel. 
But then along comes Mary, maybe 15 years old, maybe a little bit older. She does get to have children at an optimal age. She does get her own visit from an angel. She is carrying the Messiah, not just some messenger that's going to wear camel hair and eat bugs. She had to wonder at some point, why did I have to live through all of this? I was blameless. I, I haven't done anything except try to serve the Lord my whole life. I wanted all of the things that Mary is getting now. I, I, the Lord knew that I wanted all of those things. And here I am, I'm old and I'm frail, and I most likely will never get to see all that my son is going to do and accomplish. I, I, I'm never going to see what God is going to do through my sweet boy. But we never read about those thoughts from Elizabeth in Scripture. We, we never hear her bellyache or complain about what the Lord has done for her, the life that God has given her. What we do see is we see her move aside and we see her make way for somebody else's gifts. We do see her modeling the fact that just because someone else is going to be more famous or have a bigger role than she's going to play, we see her with grace and dignity take this sweet girl who was younger than her, prettier than her, less experienced than her, knows less about the scriptures than her, has not put near the hours of consecration and dedication into the Lord's word as she has put in. Yet, she still takes in young Mary, and she lifts her up, and she elevates her, and she helps her to become what God has called her to be. You know why? Well, the short answer, answer is Elizabeth was prayed through, and she had her heart right. She recognized that this thing that she was a part of was bigger than her. And most importantly, Elizabeth realized that this was not about her. It wasn't about who got the credit. It, it wasn't about a person getting the glory, but it was about the Savior of the world. And church, if we can just get that, if we can just get our own selfish pride and our egos in check, and, and, and point everything back to Jesus. There is no telling what he could accomplish through us and in our church. And if there are any parents listening today, Elizabeth and Zachariah raised a son that was just like them. A son of which Jesus said, there is no man greater than John. She raised a son who worked diligently and boldly and who was successful in living for God and pointing the world to Jesus. But when it was time for him to take a back seat, he did so with a thankful heart. He ate bugs in the desert and he wore furry underwear. He was thrown in jail. He was persecuted. And his only concern was, is the Messiah where he needs to be? John had no complaints. And when he was thrown into jail, he did not ask the disciples to go find Jesus and ask him to bust him out of prison. He had not one selfish, selfish motive. It was all about making the path clear for Jesus to be glorified. And he learned that from his beautiful mother. I don't know about you, parents, but I don't want to raise a generation who only thinks about themselves. 
I, I, I don't want to be the kind of example for the ones coming behind me and, and my neighbors and my Sunday school kids and nieces and nephews and cousins and friends. I don't want them to learn that it's every man for himself. I want to lift people up. I want to be a cheerleader for those uh, to others to fulfill their calling in God and to promote the kingdom of God and to see people saved and live a godly life. That is what it's all about. Lord, help me to keep my selfish pride and motives in check every single day. I never want to have the attitude that I deserve something that somebody else is getting. I don't want to ever be in a place where I think I have all the answers and I can't learn something from everyone else because I'm the smartest person in the room. I want to always be encouraging other people. I want to be learning and giving and helping where I can, whatever that looks like. I don't want to be prideful. I, I, I don't want people to even see me, but I want them to see Jesus, just like Elizabeth did. And finally, my last point this evening is that Elizabeth was a very brave woman of faith. We've already talked about how Elizabeth got a mute husband instead of an angel to deliver her message. And although, now that I think about it, the Bible says that they stayed in their house. She stayed in her house the first five months of pregnancy. So basically, they were quarantined for about five months. So, you know, we all know what that's like. Maybe it was her gift from God that her husband couldn't speak. I don't know while they were stuck in the house together. But Elizabeth is a character in our Bible who falls in the category of blessed are they who have not seen, yet they believed. She did not need proof like so many others in our Bible needed. She wasn't a doubter like Thomas who needed to thrust his hand in Jesus' side to believe. She did not fleece the Lord to make sure that he had called her to do a job, not even once, let alone twice, the way Gideon did. Abraham and Sarah were two of the most important figures in the Old Testament who both followed God faithfully through a lifetime of challenges and trials. But they could not quite bring themselves to believe one promise that God had made to them, the same one that he had made to Elizabeth, that they were going to have a child in their own age. In fact, they both laughed when they heard the news. But not Elizabeth. Elizabeth didn't laugh. Elizabeth did not require proof. She did not question. Instead, she boldly squared her shoulders and quietly, with unwavering faith, accepted the gift and the challenge that God had set before her. She lived her life, her entire life, for this moment. Elizabeth was ready. She believed. She walked through the door that God had opened. Living for God is an everyday, consistent walk in faith. Not every day is good. Not every day is what we hoped it would be. Most days are fairly ordinary and mundane, if we're lucky. But every day is a gift and a chance to point others to Him. Every day is an opportunity to choose to be thankful and to trust and to obey. And if we are patient and we make ourselves available, every day is a chance for God to show His majesty and His power through us. When Mary comes to visit Elizabeth, the Bible says that John leaped in her womb. No, day, no doubt this baby 
who was fearfully and wonderfully made, acknowledges the presence of his God, the one who made him. And just after that, Elizabeth says this in Luke chapter 1, verse 45. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And I don't know any of you tonight. I don't know what you're dealing with. I, I don't know what you're going through in this crazy year of 2020. But let, you, let me remind you of something you already know. You can have faith in what the Lord has said to you. You can believe his word. You can file away that still small voice in all of the things that God has spoken into your life and know that what he has said will be accomplished. God has not forgotten you. He has heard every cry. He's heard every desire, every need, every heartbreak. Blessed is the person who has believed. Church, never doubt it. God has got a work for you to do. He has a purpose for your life. He has a calling, and he is waiting on some of us to answer that call, wherever you may be tonight. It could be that he's waiting on you to get your heart right. It could be that he's waiting on you to get your pride in check. Perhaps he's calling you to give a little bit more, whatever that looks like, your time, your talents, your finances, maybe it's your comfort zone. Search your heart tonight. Don't ignore that when you feel the Lord nudging you to do a little bit more and to, to step out in faith. Because we have a promise this morning. What God has said will be accomplished. I want my life to point back to Jesus. I want to be so close to him that people don't even notice me but they notice the God who made me. That's all they see. Lord, help me to decrease so that you may increase. And before I finish tonight, I'm just going to say a prayer for you all and thank you again for letting me be with you. Let's, let's everybody, just wherever you are tonight, just, just bow your heads or lift your hands however you want to do it, and let's just pray. Lord, help us to remember every single day that our one and only purpose in this life is to give you glory, Jesus. The only reason that we are granted this skin to live in is to point people back to you, Lord. God, I pray right now for the Sanctuary Church in Cedar Park, Texas, Lord, that you would, that you would nudge them right now and, and take them places that they never thought possible in you. Lord, I pray right now that you would put Somebody on their hearts, Lord, someone that they can invest in, someone that they can witness to, someone that they can pour into and teach them about you. Lord, I ask right now that you would bless um, the ministry team. I pray that you would bless every saint in this church. I pray that you would bless everyone uh, who is thinking about making this church their home. Lord, we're in this together. Lord, help us to be like Elizabeth tonight and not worry about ourselves and, and not worry about who gets the credit, not worry about who gets the glory, Lord, but let's just get, get together and roll our sleeves up and work for you. Lord, thank you for these people. Thank you for your presence and thank you for your word. 
Lord, bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you all.